food is really the building blocks that we use to make our body. So it's very logical that the foods that we eat will have an impact on the way that our skin looks. Unfortunately, it can be a bit of a rocky road when it comes to skin health. You'll have lots of different bumps in in that uh, road to having perfect glowing skin. It's not always an easy path, but I guarantee that if you focus on nourishing foods that nourish the rest of your body in amazing ways, that your skin will thank you. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Rome, New York, the island of Molokai in Hawaii, and Taichung City in Taiwan. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 8 of season 6, number 404 overall. The question today is this, what should you be eating to keep your skin looking its best? You're about to find out. This is episode 7 of our Health All-Star series and it is all about your skin. Getting you to look your best and have a more radiant and youthful complexion. Can your diet actually turn back the hands of time? Possibly. On the flip side, can it also speed up the aging process? To answer those questions, we welcome Dr. Gemma Newman, the Plant Power Doc, to the exam room live for an incredible Q&A. We had questions from Julie, who was wondering whether you can get the same benefits that you find from these topical creams that are loaded with vitamins and antioxidants from just eating the foods that contain those same vitamins and antioxidants. We also have Anar wondering about the most hydrating foods. We're also going to be touching on acne and psoriasis and other blemishes. Really, the goal here today is to get you feeling good inside and out and to love the person who's looking back at you in the mirror. Everything from acne to collagen is on the table as our Exam Room Health All-Star series rolls on with Dr. Gemma Newman. Dr. Newman, it's great to see you again. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hello, Chuck. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And oh, by the way, I should say, Dr. Newman, that you and I have a very special announcement at the end of a show. We're kind of teaming up here for Global Health Domination. We really are. It is very, very exciting. So you don't want to go anywhere because you really want to hear about this announcement. That's true. You really do. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about skin health here. That's the reason why people are here today. And my question is this, right? We, We know that like cigarettes, for example, can really speed up the aging process. You look at somebody who's been smoking for years and you just see they kind of have this weathered looking face. Can diet do the same if somebody's really loading up on fast food and all of those high fat uh, pre-packaged ultra-processed foods? 
Well, yes, to an extent it can. You know, it's interesting. I think everybody's seen that picture of the truck driver. Um, one side of his face is all wrinkly, the other side is smooth, and that's actually because of sun exposure. So I think probably one of the most powerful things is smoking. And one of the other most powerful things is um, overexposure to UV rays. But diet has a really central role in helping to reduce skin aging as well, because what you're doing is really nourishing your skin from the inside out, and you're giving yourself all those amazing antioxidants and phytonutrients if you're having a much more whole foods a more plant focused diet uh, you've got the extra vitamin c from all the fruits and veggies you've got the vitamin e from the whole grains and the nuts and the seeds and the avocados and all these amazing ingredients are nourishing your, your skin from the inside out you're also having really healthy plant proteins that will help you to create the, the main protein in the body that helps to support the skin structure which is of course collagen and that can also support bone and joint health. So our diet can play a crucial role in that as well. And I also just want to say, you know, I have a huge passion for skin health because it's not easy when you have skin problems. You can't hide it, especially when these skin problems occur in places that everybody sees, you know, your face or your hands or your arms. You know, this is a really important issue for people and it can really affect your self-confidence, your love of life. So for me, I always say to my patients, you know, have a lot of self-love, a lot of understanding when the skin goes wrong, because it can really impact your self-esteem. Go and see your doctor if you need to, because I don't want anybody to suffer in silence. There's lots of things that your doctor can look into for you that might help. But there's no doubt that your lifestyle can play a huge part in having healthy, happy skin. In your estimation, is diet the first place people should look to start to improve their skin? Obviously, it sounds like from what you were describing, it's going to be a process. But is that step one? Uh, yes, I'd say step one is often food because that's the first thing that you can immediately shift. Um, and, you know, we have studies to show that things like eczema, for example, is actually far more likely if you have a more processed diet. Um, there's actually a really amazing study coming out of Korea, uh, the National Health and Nutrition Survey, looking at 17,000 plus people. And what they found was that a diet that was very heavy in things like um, processed meats and other ultra-processed foods, um, we're looking at an extra 57% chance of developing eczema, just as, a, as an example. Um, whereas if you have more whole foods containing all those amazing fruits and veggies and whole grains and legumes, then you'd be looking at a much lower chance of experiencing um, lots of different allergic conditions, including eczema. So that's just one example. And then when it comes to, you know, things like acne. Uh, there are certain sort of enzyme pathways that we now um, know can impact our uh, predisposition to getting acne. There's loads of things involved, you know, hormone control, stress, things like that. But one of the number one things in our diet that we need to really look at is the activation of the so-called mTOR pathway, which can um, be associated with things like premature puberty, um, accelerated aging, and extra sebum production, extra risk of acne as well. And that can be activated by foods such as uh, meat and eggs and, um, and milk. So that's something to consider. So absolutely, food can play a vital role. And as I said at the very beginning, we're really you know, nourishing our bodies from the inside out. Um, and you know, 
I don't want to oversimplify it. There are other factors involved. Acne is caused when you know dead skin cells and our natural sebums mix to kind of block up those hair follicles. And then you can get um, bacteria on the skin as well that can then aggravate that and cause these spots to come up. And so there are a number of other things that can impact that. Um, And, you know, our skin microbiome is also really important. So the outside surface of our skin, we've got this special uh, layer called the acid mantle, which can be disrupted. Sometimes even by over cleansing, you can disrupt that acid mantle, which then leads you to be more susceptible to skin infections and eczema and potentially um, acne as well. So there are a number of things that will will really impact that kind of delicate balance. Um, And, um, you know, in terms of acne, it may be things like stress and hormones as well as diet. And, you know, things like eczema in children, it's often sort of allergic responses to things to foods most commonly things like milk actually can can sometimes flare up eczema responses and in adults it's often environmental triggers and stress as well that can flare up things like eczema so there are a number of other things but diet is a wonderful cornerstone to look at and I'm so glad that we're focusing on that as well today acid mantle huh that's a that's yes. a new one to me. That sounds like the name of a rock band, doesn't it? It's like acid mantle. Yeah, yes. let's do this thing. Let's get that acid mantle. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it is really important. And our microbiome on our skin is is something that is just so exciting to learn the research about. Actually, yeah, the microbiome, like just all, all in all, why we talk about it so much is just it seems like you think that you've learned a lot and then you kind of like open up another discussion and you learn that there's so much more out there still to learn. Like it's so critically important. Uh, Also important, opening up the doctor's mailbag. We have a lot of people chiming in right now with a whole lot of questions. So if you have a question for Dr. Newman, now is the time to post that in the comments or in the chat. And we're going to get to as many as we possibly can. Before we take our first question, I want to say hi to Jillian, who's tuned in from Montreal, Canada right now, says they've been in exam roomy for three months. And this is the first time they were able to chime in on the chat, says they love Dr. Newman and Chuck and Chuck Thank Tusa. you. And I love, <laughs> Thank- I love Chuck too. And the exam room. I have to say, I was so blown away when you said it was one of the most downloaded health podcasts on the planet. I mean, my God, that's testament to your, you know, erasmataz and your engagement and all the incredible guests. So well done you. It's well, thank you. I mean, this it's truly been a labor of love. It took, you know, five years to kind of climb up this mountain and, you know, to know that, you know, we're reaching somewhere between like 85 and 95,000 people per episode between the video views and the podcast downloads. It's, it's just mind blowing to me. Um, and it's humbling because it means that there's an appetite for what it is that we're talking about. You know, it's, it's not just that, yeah, oh, wow, we've got a show. It's like people are taking this information and then improving their own health, which means that they're improving their quality of life. And to me, having had that transformation, and I know you've had one too, it's just so flipping gratifying. Like it's almost (laughs) impossible to put into words. I know. And that's why you keep going with it. Because, you know, when you feel like you're really helping people in their lives, you know, it's one of the best things in the, on the, you know, one of those best feelings in the world. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. wonderful. All right, let's go ahead and open up that doctor's mailbag. The first question comes to us from Julie. You've mentioned about eating and nourishing ourselves from the inside out. Julie's got an interesting question. She wants to know whether topical creams that are loaded with vitamins are more effective than getting the vitamins from food. 
So this is a great question. And I'd say it's a mixture. There's actually some really good evidence that uh, vitamin C or vitamin C rich creams are beneficial because they help to reduce um, swollen capillaries in the surface of the skin. They help to reduce the the, um, appearance of the skin in terms of aging um, and they help to provide vital antioxidants for the skin surface. So vitamin C or vitamin C rich creams are actually helpful and also uh, creams and uh, serums with retinol. Uh, in which is actually another sort of fancy way of saying vitamin A. Um, that's also really helpful for for maintaining youthful and or healthy looking skin. Uh, you have to be careful with some skin creams, though. They won't always live up to the hype. Um, there's quite a lot of uh, creams that will contain probiotics. You know, Chuck and I were just talking about how exciting the microbiome is and obviously maintaining the skin microbiome is another factor in healthy skin. But, you know, sometimes the research hasn't yet caught up to industry. And there's loads of you know people in the cosmetics industry that are making all these expensive creams with you know, basically bacterial cells in them thinking, look, they've got probiotics, put them on your face. And we don't really have evidence yet that that's going to be particularly effective. And also anti-aging products in a cream, other than things like vitamin C and retinol, um, they don't sort of go too deep. Um, So you're not going to necessarily affect things like collagen production, because that's deeper than the epidermis. Let's take a question now from the great enigma. I guess that makes it a great question by itself. 1213. (laughs) What should be done if you're struggling with hormonal acne and how can somebody determine if in fact hormones are the cause? That's such a good question. Again, acne is something I'm really passionate about. Actually, my mum suffered terrible cystic acne when I was growing up and it really affected her confidence and self-esteem. And I myself struggle too. if I'm going through periods of stress or, you know, I haven't dialed up on my skincare routine. Um, I think clearly when you're going through the teenage years, it's when you're most likely to get these big hormonal shifts. And that's when you're most likely to notice acne flaring up. And if you suffer from uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome as another one that would make acne more likely, um, because, again, you have this higher androgenic component to your hormone balance. Basically, I think. One of the things that I would come back to, if you're not quite sure whether hormonal imbalances are playing a part in your skin health, I'd say go back to lifestyle. Remember what I was saying earlier about how things like stress and sleep patterns and dietary patterns can have an influence on our skin health in many, many ways. So if you were to eat a predominantly whole foods, plant-rich diet, uh, high in omega-3s, high in vitamin C and vitamin E, low in uh, these sort of hormone potentiating foods that we were talking about earlier, um, then you're going to find that that's going to be beneficial for your general health. It may improve your skin as well. And if you're suffering from a condition that would make you more predisposed to acne, like PCOS, for example, or PCOS, then making those dietary changes is also going to help regulate those hormones. These kinds of dietary shifts are just as important for hormone regulation as they are for skin regulation, too. So you're not going to do any harm by having these interventions and you may see some improvements. I think stress is another big one uh, for many people that often goes untalked about and something that's a bit more hard to um, address because it's not a quick fix. Uh, None of these things when it comes to skincare are 
uh, seen as quick fixes. So I would say focus on that too. Could there be areas in your life that are particularly causing you stress or unresolved issues emotionally? And if so, maybe seek some therapy, talk to a friend, start journaling, um, really dial in on your sleep routines, trying to consistently go to bed and wake up at the same times, eating these healthy foods, getting outside in nature first thing in the morning if you can. It sounds small, but all of these things can really add up to actually boosting your well-being. And when it comes to tech, right now we're talking on this amazing live. We're using a computer, laptop, phone, whatever you're using. Try and come off the tech for a bit if you find yourself on there a lot. Again, these things are micro stresses that can all have an impact on our general health, our stress and on our skin. Come off the tech. There you go. I love the way that you put that. That's that's pretty righteous right there. Um, <laughs> it, it's okay if you don't have the answer to this, um, but I'm I'm wondering, you know, when it comes to acne and things, not just in teenagers, but as adults as well, um, are women more susceptible to suffering from acne and other blemishes than guys, or is that kind of just a stereotype that, as a society, we've adopted? I would say that men and women are uh, susceptible to acne. In fact, probably men may even be more susceptible because they tend to have higher testosterone levels and they may sweat when they go to the gym and they may not take off their sweaty clothes and things like that. That's a huge generalization. But (laughs) I, I think actually it's probably that men are more susceptible to acne, but women are more judged by their appearance. So women feel as though their worth is a lot more tied up in how their face looks and how their body looks than for men. Um, So it's a really interesting sort of social commentary chat in a way. Uh, I mean, women, I suppose, would have the advantage of it being socially acceptable to apply makeup. Uh, And a lot of men will really lack self-confidence when they're suffering from severe or cystic acne. They can't cover it up their face is out there for the world to see uh, and it can really affect their self-confidence. For women, obviously, it can have a big impact on self-confidence too, but we do at least have the ability to potentially apply specific camouflaging makeups that we can dab onto these sore spots and at least go out uh, and as long as somebody's not getting too close, then you can at least sort of cover up the redness and the inflammation of those spots. So I think it's a double-edged sword. Guys, let's just rewind that and go back to the beginning of the comment. Make sure that once you work out, you change your (laughs) daggone clothes. One, if you don't do it, that's just nasty. Uh, And and number two, that's the kind of practical advice you will only get on this show. Okay. You will hear (laughs) nowhere else to change your clothes after working out. I'm just saying. Exactly. Sweating is good for acne, but sweating that's on dry skin is not good. (laughs) Because that's when the bacteria can build up on the skin and increase the likelihood of further acne. So sweating is is good, but don't stay in those sweaty clothes. There you go. Appreciate us for who we are. Um, (laughs) You know, it's funny though, you were talking about these things that can camouflage blemishes. And I, I think back to Julie's question about topical creams and you look at some of these jars and it's like a hundred dollars for just this little itty bitty thing. And if you really do get much of the same benefit from consuming the vitamin through food, then, you know, it's a lot cheaper to pay a dollar or so for an orange than the hundred dollars for the cream. Wouldn't you say? I would. That's a great point, Chuck. And I would say for a lot of people, especially those um, who are particularly concerned about 
their skin health. Why not do both? Because the vitamin C and the retinols that you get from creams have been shown to be useful and don't have to be expensive. I think this is another interesting thing. You know, companies will spend so much money on marketing and they'll try and sell you these really expensive creams that cost you $100 or more. And actually, if you look at the ingredients of some good quality skincare brands um, in the States, UK and elsewhere in Europe, you're looking for that vitamin C and retinol and maybe hyaluronic acid, which actually isn't an acid. It's it's um, a type of glucose that helps to hydrate the skin. These are all really good skincare ingredients that do not have to cost the earth. And, you know, you can actually look up these types of creams, men and women, and use them on the skin in addition to giving yourself those really healthful, nourishing foods. And you do not have to spend a lot of money on them, honestly. Uh, you, you know, you don't have to spend a fortune on these big, expensive creams. Uh, we're going to take a question from Anar in just a second about uh, hydration. You just brought that into the conversation. But I want to take a second, do an exam roomy roll call here. We got people tuned in all over the world. Uh, Teak is watching right now. Yeah. In Switzerland. (laughs) That's pretty cool. We've got Sherry who's in South Africa. Patty is in South Florida. Very cool. Uh, Hobie Sound, Florida. Sorry, not South Florida. Uh, Teresa right now watching in Hawaii. Margaret is in Scotland, just all over the globe. Just, I love this so much. Um, And it it goes to show, you know, when it comes to talking skin health, this is not just a Western issue. I mean, this is everywhere around the globe. Um, Let's go ahead and talk more about those hydrating foods. The question from Anar is what, in your opinion, are the most hydrating foods? Yeah, I mean, well, first up, just water. I think many of us don't actually drink enough water as it is. And I have to say, I confess I'm the same. You know, I'll have a cup of tea and I'll think, oh, no, I've had a couple of cups of tea. I haven't even had enough water yet today. So make sure you get those glasses of water in every day. And the most hydrating foods are those that contain water. So, you know, you're looking at salads and fruits and veggies, most predominantly um, are very hydrating foods. Um, So, yeah, get on the uh, fruit and vegetable train and make sure you've got plenty of water every day in your routine. And I, I tend to try to have um, like a big um, bottle of water near me on my desk if I'm sitting at my desk for the day, um, or I'll try and I get myself a big glass of water when I first wake up as a way to remind me to keep hydrated because it, it makes a big difference. Is it possible, though, uh, even without going for that huge glass of water to get a lot of the water that we need for the day through our food? Yeah, it's definitely possible for sure, because there are many foods that contain quite a lot of water in them. So, yes, you know, we can we can make up for deficiencies in our water drinking with food to some degree as well. Yeah. All right. Let's grab a question now from Shelby. Do sweets and fried foods cause acne? Oh, great, great question. Um, For some people, there is no doubt that they will notice flare ups after having sweets or chocolates or fried foods. Um, It doesn't mean that's the case for every single person, but it is definitely true for quite a lot of people. Um, And even chocolate, sadly, I love chocolate, but there is some evidence to suggest that 
the sugar and the fat in chocolate and also even sometimes the cocoa. There was a randomized control trial, actually, where they used uh, powdered cocoa in a capsule form. So there was no um, bias when it came to you know what people thought they were actually eating. And sadly, it did seem to show that uh, for some susceptible people, cocoa um, powder could also uh, set off acne in some individuals. So yeah, definitely those kinds of foods can play a part. And if you are having bad acne, then looking at dialing in the diet for a while is a lovely way of just seeing if it's going to work for you. Maximizing your fruits, your veggies, your whole grains, uh, your beans, your lentils, your chickpeas, uh, herbs and spices. Uh, and I'd say even the foods like nuts and seeds, I'd have the whole fir- versions, but don't sort of have the um, salted nuts or large amounts of peanut butter, for example, if you are susceptible to acne, just to kind of go kind of more on the lower fat side for a short while, maybe four to six weeks and see what happens, see what you notice to your skin. Is it, yeah, is it because the peanut butter contains a lot of fat that can really make somebody more susceptible to acne then? Yeah, it's just sometimes some people have told me that they will tend to flare up if they have a lot of peanut butter. And you know, these are this doesn't apply to the general population. I'm not saying we should limit our peanut butter in general, but I think it's true also if you have specific weight loss goals. You know, you want to mm. be just you know aware of of how much you're consuming from time to time. And you know, when it comes to acne, yes, sometimes it can be um, a precipitating cause. Interestingly, actually, some um, evidence does also suggest that very high dose vitamin B 12 can um, cause uh, acne outbreaks in some individuals. So make sure you're taking your B12 supplement, but don't take massively high doses if you don't need it. So you can get your B12 levels checked uh, and just be sure that you're not overdoing it uh, and potentially causing an acne flare if you are somebody who is susceptible. All right, let's take a question from Takasumi right now, 1202. What if somebody's in the midst of a flare up of eczema? What tips, what advice can you offer them? Oh, well, that can be so painful. I'd go to your doctor to start with because it's possible that you may have an infective flare. Uh, and if that's the case, you may require antibiotics and then, you know, you'd then potentially be doing some work to rebuild your healthy gut biome uh, to try because there's such a huge link, isn't there? We now now understand that there's a really strong link between our immune system um, and our gut. And we also now understand that eczema is something that's mediated by our immune responses. And it's pretty amazing, really. We, you know, there's a real strong link between eczema, asthma, hay fever, and other allergies. And what happens is, you know, our body, our IgE, um, which is a type of immune cell, can attach to something called mast cells, which are all over our body. And these mast cells produce histamines. And these are really useful, these histamines, because they can mediate important immune responses to protect our bodies. But when they are um, reacting to things in the environment that are not harmful, that's where they can start to affect our skin. So when the mast cells produce histamines on the skin, that's where you get the redness coming in because they're opening up the capillaries to try and increase the blood flow that causes the redness. They're causing fluid to leak out of those blood capillaries uh, to try and sort of dilute toxins in the skin. And that can cause the swelling of the eczema. Um, And so you can see that these mast cells, wherever they are, they have a similar effect. So when the mast cells are activated in the nose, that causes the nose to get all snotty. When they're activated in the lungs, that causes inflammation and fluid buildup, which causes asthma. And of course, in the skin, that's where they can cause eczema. So it's really about dampening down that immune response. So once you've dealt with the initial trigger, 
if you know what that is, then you're going to be looking at really optimizing your gut health as much as you can. And in doing that, healthy fiber rich foods are so important because they are the food for those healthy gut bugs that will help to repair that um, gut lining and help to repair your immune response. Um, Other things that you can look at would be Simple, like just moisturizing emollient creams to soothe that redness and soreness. Sometimes you might require something like a steroid cream to um, help reduce the inflammation locally. I would be wary to overuse steroid creams because over time, if you're using them a lot, they can thin the skin. And if you're using them regularly, you can get sometimes a flare up reaction. So just use them sparingly for as long as you need. And you may need something to help quench uh, sort of an infective process on the skin as well, potentially antibiotics. Um, And you may also require antihistamines. Remember, I mentioned the histamines that are released in the mast cells when you're having an inflammatory reaction. Well, there are tablets called antihistamines that we can sometimes take to dampen down that reaction as well. Um, So those are a number of things that you can try in the short term. You know, we haven't mentioned rosacea yet, but I wanted to share this story from an exam roomie with you. Uh, Debbie posted this at 1213, said uh, that she suffered with rosacea for years and tried all the prescriptions that were out there. But then when she switched five years ago to eating a whole food plant-based diet, it almost totally disappeared. She says, I no longer walk around with a really red face. I was amazed and very happy. You hear a success story like that, I mean, that one, it makes me happy. As a doctor, again, I know that that probably makes you really happy as well. What is the connection, though, between diet and rosacea? Is it similar to what we've been talking about already today? Yeah, it's very similar. And people with rosacea will have very sensitive skin, sadly. And so there'd be a number of things that would flare that up, things like alcohol or sometimes, you know, spicy foods, even going out in the cold, sometimes going out in the heat. Any number of things can then cause a flare. Um, And it's a similar inflammatory process, really, as people sometimes mistake it for acne because people with rosacea can also develop um, skin sort of lesions that look like spots and they can develop that redness, especially around the nose and the sort of the area here and here Um, and sometimes around the eyes interestingly you can also get something called ocular rosacea which is where you sort of develop redness and uh, inflammation and blepharitis around the eyes which is all linked to the rosacea process and you know when you have these amazing antioxidant rich foods uh, what you're doing is you're essentially dampening down that process and you're you know improving your skin health from the inside out so that's a really wonderful anecdote thank you so much for sharing I'm so pleased that it's helped you yeah pretty cool right um we haven't talked about wrinkles yet and and turning back the hands of time uh a little bit maybe this goes to the hydrating foods we were talking about earlier as well but Anne is wondering whether you know of any foods or diet that can really help to smooth out some of those unwanted wrinkles Oh, I <laughs> I wish I could sort of offer you, you know, like a overnight solution when it comes to wrinkle smoothing. Um, <laughs> but I, I can't. I think, you know, <clears throat> the general anti-aging foods are helpful. So we have some study evidence to suggest that a diet rich in plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes and omega-3s as well um, is all really helpful for kind of slightly arresting that cellular aging process. Um, 
and providing vitality for our cells, lengthening the telomeres, which are those little caps on the ends of our chromosomes. Um, So, you know, they, they basically, every time the cell divides, they can shorten until such time that they're too short and then the cell dies. Um, Having a plant-rich diet uh, sort of basically slows that process down. It can slow aging on a cellular level. But when it comes to looking at the wrinkles that you see in the mirror, you know, you're not going to necessarily notice a big difference the next day or the day after having eaten more fruits and veggies. It's about the long game. It's about the habits that we have every day. Um, Honestly, when it comes to wrinkles, probably sun exposure is one of the biggest ones. And so using a daily moisturizing cream each morning that contains um, SPF factor 30 will be a great way to reduce the risk of uh, wrinkles to the skin. Um, But also, I want to just point out that, you know, we live in a society where I think youth is often uh, venerated, especially for women. And I'd like for us to be able to find a way to you know, feel good in our skin with the wisdom of knowing that, you know, we've reached a certain age and we're OK with that. We don't want premature aging, but I think aging provides wisdom. And I think we should really embrace that t- to some level as well. Just, you know, the fact that we've lived an incredible life and that we've got a lot to offer in many ways other than looking youthful. I love that sunny outlook. I love that sunny outlook on a gray day. Uh, matter of fact, speaking of gray days, Michael in the chat, Gemma's book is great. Lovely to see her on the podcast. It's very wet in the UK today. So the show with Gemma is brightening up the end of my day. Oh, Michael, <laughs> thank you so much. You've brightened my day. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> uh, Steven Turner at twelve twenty-seven. We haven't really touched on collagen stuff just yet. Um, when it comes to getting collagen naturally in the diet, what are some areas that we might want to look at? Yeah, so collagen is the most abundant protein in the body, and it's the protein that is the building block for our skin, our bones, our ligaments. And it's important for skin health. Um, Now, collagen in the diet is only available in animal products. So if you consume animal products, you may consume collagen. If you consume collagen supplements, obviously you're consuming collagen from um, usually from uh, cows, from bovine sources. Marine collagen comes from sort of dead fish cells. uh, And so some people consume that if they want to consume collagen. Now, the good news is, You don't need to consume collagen to have collagen because your body makes collagen. And the way that your body makes collagen is through uh, there's three specific amino acids um, that produce type one, type two human collagen. And you can get those from protein rich foods in the diet. And of course, we know that a plant rich whole foods, plant based diet contains those proteins um, that you need to build those building blocks of collagen. Now, sadly, our bodies produce less collagen over time. Even from about sort of 30 onwards, we're going to be producing less collagen. Uh, But if we want to help our body's natural collagen defenses, then I'd say having things like vitamin C rich foods is also really helpful because you're essentially supporting your body's collagen production. There are some studies to suggest that collagen consumption can be helpful for joint health and maybe for skin health too. A lot of those studies, however, are industry funded, which is important to know. So you can't necessarily um, say that that there's no bias in the results there. But there's, you know, it, it has to be said that there has been some studies to suggest it could be helpful. Now, We're actually getting some vegan collagen out on the market, interestingly, which is a very new and innovative um, 
kind of technology. Uh, I know in the UK, there are two companies producing vegan type one human collagen directly um, through a fermentation process. So not through an animal product. So if you're vegan, and you really want to try collagen, then you could try one of those. Um, But we don't really have strong evidence that you need it. So if you're somebody that is not wanting to try collagen supplementation, then you can rest assured that your whole foods, plant-rich diet is going to be helping you to support your body's natural collagen production. All right. Uh, we're going to have a major announcement here in just a little bit. But first, let's grab two more questions from the mailbag today. Uh, first one, 1226, Sunira is wondering how salty food could affect your skin. Hmm, that's a good question. I think salty foods could potentially dehydrate your body in general, which may then dehydrate the skin. But I haven't read any studies specifically on the effects of salt on skin health. We know that salt can have an effect on our blood vessels and potentially increase our risk of um, having a high blood pressure, which then is a risk factor for heart disease later in life, which we know is the number one cause of death in the Western world. So I would probably limit salt consumption for that reason more than for my skin health. All right. uh, Kind of a curveball question here. Uh, We also haven't talked about psoriasis. So this does not count as one of the final questions, Doc. Uh, (laughs) But again, the same principles that we've been talking about for other conditions, do they also apply to psoriasis? Oh, yes, they really do. I mean, psoriasis can be a really challenging skin condition. You know, it's, it affects, it, interestingly, if you want to know if you have psoriasis or eczema, sometimes they can look very similar. But psoriasis tends to occur on the outside of our elbows and eczema tends to occur on the inside. The so-called antecubital fossa, this bit here, that's where you're more likely to get eczema. And the outside here is where you're more likely to experience psoriasis. And the same is true for the skin flexures on the knees. So that's an interesting thing to look at if you have um, a red and inflamed skin condition, if you want to know the difference. Um, But they can both be... um, really mediated by our immune system. So there's a type of psoriasis called gut ache psoriasis, which tends to come on after, uh, often after a viral infection, maybe in the sort of two to six weeks following a viral infection. Some people develop these uh, multitude of dots on the skin, mostly perhaps on the thorax and around the body. And that's often associated with the viral exposure. And with it's thought to be because of your um, immune response to that virus. So yeah, I think... Um, other types of ex, uh, sorry, other types of psoriasis can occur from sort of childhood upwards, and they are immune mediated. So again, it's an important thing to look at: going to see your doctor, getting the right creams and emollients, uh, topical vitamin D analogs are usually very good to help treat psoriasis, um, as well as um, the use of the the normal topical emollient creams and steroid creams to a degree um, and scalp applications as well. So do see your doctor for more specific advice or perhaps a dermatologist. And yes, your diet and lifestyle can play a huge part. Many patients of mine have said that their psoriasis flares up when they're feeling stressed. Um, And as I mentioned, there is a specific type of psoriasis that happens when your immune system is low and you've just been fighting an infection. So yeah, looking after your mental health and your diet and your sleep patterns um, if you want to help um, maintain healthier skin with psoriasis. All right. Final question now comes in at 1157. Does eating a whole food plant-based diet actually help your skin look younger and brighter and healthy or is it genetics? (laughs) Is that Sumi that's asked that question? (laughs) It's a good question. Yeah. 
you know what? Our food is really the building blocks that we use to make our body. So it's very logical that the foods that we eat will have an impact on the way that our skin looks. Unfortunately, it can be a bit of a rocky road when it comes to skin health. You'll have lots of different bumps in in that uh, road to having perfect glowing skin. It's not always an easy path, but I guarantee that if you focus on nourishing foods that nourish the rest of your body in amazing ways, that your skin will thank you and it will support glowing skin. There, there it is. See, now that's the quote of the show. I'll tell you right now, I'm probably, <laughs> let me mark the time here. I'm probably going to use that at the top of the podcast when I release it as the hook. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. That, that is a perfect way to end it. Thank you. You're welcome. Glad to give you a hook. <laughs> yeah. God bless you. Uh, uh, announcement time. So here, here's the skinny, my friends. Uh, Dr. Newman is going to be getting out of the guest seat and joining me on the host side of the table. And we are doing uh, a spinoff, as it were, of the exam room called One Healthy World, where you and I, Dr. Newman, will be interviewing fantastic guests, amazing stories, and physicians from literally, as you would suspect, all around the world, taking a true global perspective and putting it on diet. Very cool stuff. I can't wait. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely incredible. And I have to let you know a little secret. We've actually already started recording and it is mind-blowingly good. Like I am absolutely loving hearing the stories of world-renowned um, physicians, uh, patient stories, incredible um, people all around the world that are sharing the benefits of whole foods, plant-based nutrition. It is super exciting. And the format is just amazing. It's, it's something different. You know, I love the podcast podcast format. I really do. You can get on a deep dive and we need a lot more of that these days in this kind of clickbait society. Having said that, I'm really loving the One Healthy World format because it's like we're on our very own show and it feels really like a community and that people can really join us and feel as if they're part of something, which I just love. Yeah. We're going to take like five topics and just condense them all into 30 minutes or less. And it's, you know, it's bing bang zoom and it kind of guides you right through you can absorb yeah. so much information in such a short amount of time and as you said uh we have already filmed five pilot episodes uh that have been green lit so uh we're we're gonna move on into the future so stay tuned that show will be debuting very very soon uh but i can't wait i'm so thrilled to be doing this project with you you and i have a lot of fun when we do these shows together so we do i hope <laughs> hope everybody can tell how much fun we have. We, we, we do. <laughs> it's a giggle fest. So like when, when, you know, they said, well, why don't we do these on a recurring basis? I was like, absolutely. Let's giddy up, man. Let's, let's yeah. start doing this thing. I so. don't need an excuse to spend more time with Chuck, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> nor you, nor I with you. So uh, stay tuned, my friend. Uh, but Dr. Newman, this has been absolutely fantastic. If you have not yet gotten Dr. Newman's book, head over to Amazon or your local book retailer to pick it up. Uh, I guarantee it is a fantastic read that will brighten up even the grayest and wettest of days, no matter where it is that you're living. Dr. Newman, thank you so very much. You're the best. Thank you. So are you. Thank you everybody for joining us. It was fantastic. One episode still to go on our exam room all-star series. And bringing everything home for us will be Dr. Alan Desmond, author of The Plant-Based Diet Revolution and a fantastic advocate for all things health. And we thought 
with this being a new year and everybody turning to a plant-based diet, perhaps for the first time, a lot of people might be wondering, well, how do you deal with that initial bloating? So Dr. Desmond will have tips that can help bring that bloating under control, and we'll be talking all things gut health that are also on your mind. So if there's a question that you have for Dr. Desmond, go ahead, shoot it to me on Instagram or Twitter. I am at Chuck Carroll, WLC. I want to switch gears and tell you about a fascinating study out of Australia showing just how many lives could be saved by reducing the amount of sodium that's found in a lot of packaged foods. I'll have details on that in 30 seconds. The Barnard Medical Center is powering this episode of the Exam Room Podcast. Their doctors and dietitians practice lifestyle medicine and promote plant-based nutrition with in-person visits in their Washington, D.C. office and telemedicine appointments in 18 states. Visit barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500 to learn more. That's barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. So this group of researchers in Australia got curious. What would happen if companies stopped putting so much salt in the food that they're selling in stores? And they brought the amount of sodium in line with the World Health Organization's guidelines. And what they found was shocking. Just by bringing everything in line with the guidelines, people on average in Australia would eat about 400 fewer milligrams of sodium every single day. And on a life-saving front, it would save nearly 1,800 lives every single year. And not just from heart disease either. It would prevent deaths from kidney disease and stomach cancer as well. And there would be fewer cases overall, non-fatal cases, 4,500 fewer incidents of cardiovascular disease, 2,000 fewer cases of kidney disease, and hundreds of cases of stomach cancer could be avoided just by bringing the sodium content down in these prepackaged foods. And that's just for Australia. Here in the U.S., you have to figure that we would see some pretty hefty gains as well. Right now, the USDA limit for sodium is about 2,300 milligrams. That's more than what the WHO would recommend. But the problem is that most of us Americans are eating way more than that. Most of us are taking in about 3,400 milligrams every single day. And the American Heart Association estimates that 75% of our sodium comes from these prepackaged dinners, the frozen dinners, these convenience snacks, ultra-processed foods. 75% of our salt comes from that. And back to the original study, the impact could be even larger than what was estimated there. Dr. Kathy Trout, from the George Institute for Global Health. She was the lead researcher on this particular study, and she said, quote, Our findings indicate that compliance with WHO benchmarks compared with Australia's current sodium targets may result in substantial health gains and prevent more than three times as many deaths and new cases of disease every year. That is impressive. 
And if you would like to check out the study for yourself, you can do that right now. A link to it is in the episode notes. And if you live in the LA area, March 30th, save the date, put it on your calendar. We're coming your way for a very special live and in-person episode of The Exam Room. Dr. Neil Barnard will be my guest that night. We will have more details very soon, but mark it on your calendars, March 30th. And New York, we're coming your way in May and DC soon after that. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Gemma Newman for being here and helping to raise our skin health IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.